Guten Tag, good morning, buenos dias, Mbambakiri. That's Ewondo, one of the 200 plus languages spoken in Cameroon and Africa. All of this means good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you are, wherever you are, all around the world. Thank you for joining us on this journey with your friends, Felix and Al. This is Beyond Words. This podcast is brought to you by our supporters, supporters of Beyond Words. If you would like to join this community and support this podcast, you can find us at beyondwords.locals.com. Supporters get early access to every podcast episode. Supporters get secret, super secret, supporter-only podcast episodes where we answer questions directly from supporters and comments. So it's a great space to really interact with us, to interact with the podcast and other listeners, and the great feeling in your heart knowing that you're supporting creation through this podcast. So thank you for joining us there. Whichever platform you're listening on, please take one moment, pause the podcast, leave a five-star review. It only takes a second. Subscribe to the podcast and get notifications for the podcast. Some platforms allow for subscription, subscribing, or five-star reviews or notifications. Whatever you can do on that front, it's really good for all these algorithms and it helps the podcast to become more visible so more people can find us. The more, the merrier. Welcome to December, everybody. It's already December 2020. What a year, huh? What a year. To me, this year is another reminder of the resilience of humanity. It's been a hard year for many people. For a lot of us, the biggest challenge of this year has been dealing with uncertainty, unknown, what's going to happen. But we're resilient. The sheer fact that we exist today is a testament to the resilience of humanity. Our ancestors, some of them had really, really hard lives. They went through hard times. And here we are, thanks to them. In many ways, Life has never been better for humanity in terms of the comforts, the technologies, our health, our life expectancy, all the possibilities that exist for more and more people. It's important to remember that while we do experience hard times and some of us are going through a lot right now, just remember that in many ways, life for the average human being has never been better, has never been safer, has never been healthier. So thank you to the ancestors. And thank you to those of you listening right now. Today's episode, we explore many themes, including the worst case scenario conspiracy theories. But not to fret everybody, because as you'll find, there's nothing to be afraid of. Here we are. We've been through this before. Our ancestors have been through it all. And we're still here. So, 
I'll just leave it at that. We love you. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy episode 19, Beyond Words. to have a little bit of time with you if that's cool so just sit back and listen to everything that we say today thank you for coming along on the ride felix and now we are together that's so true life can be crazy life can be rude it's important to know that that we are in it together you and me, no matter the weather. Life is crazy and unpredictable, and these times are uncertain, that's for sure. But that's okay, everybody you know, because we're in it together till the day we go. Oh ho. We're in it together, man. That's it, we're in it together. Through this wild ride, this journey. We don't know where we're going, but we're on the bus together. For now. For now. We, we get to ride a little bit in Wadang. Maybe we'll ride a little bit in Europe. From a distance. From a distance. We can be on the same bus, but not in the same place. You know what I mean? True that. True that. That was deep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond Words. With Felix and Al. This might be the last episode we record while I'm here on this stint. We might get one more in. Let's try to do one more. We'll do one more. And then we are back to the distance podcasts, bringing perspectives from opposite corners of the world. I'm leaving in five days. We become, whoa. That's cray cray. Very close. Yeah. How long were you here for? I think I arrived around October 10th, so I've been here like six weeks, I think, or something like that. Time flies when you're having fun. That's the truth. You'll be back, though. Oh, yeah. We'll be back. Um, I don't know in what capacity, like whether to visit or to live, but definitely to visit. I'll probably be back in four months to collect the cats or two cats. Yeah, crazy times. Well, we'll just have to meet through digital means, long distance, yeah, psychic means. I think that's also fun. Yeah, I think it has its advantages too, in a way, like because when we meet through Zoom on the computer, like my, all my attention is on that screen. It's on you, you know. Whereas when we're sitting here. My attention is everywhere. The mountains around us, 
the stream running through your property here. But when I'm sitting in an apartment on Zoom, that's all there is. You can still be omnipresent in both places. Yeah, for sure, man. It's going to be interesting going to Berlin now, going into winter. And I think it's kind of locked down in some ways. So it's going to be an adjustment. I was talking uh, on the talking on the phone with some friends who are they've moved to Colombia, mutual friends, and I love them, and they have this beautiful land in Colombia. Um, they're also really, really, really into these conspiracy theories. So often when I talk to them, I'm left feeling a little bit uh, paranoid about the world (laughs) because they really believe uh, a lot of these conspiracy theories related to the New World Order and uh, Agenda 2030. Have you heard about this? The Great Reset, vaccinations, all this stuff. And for whatever reason, they're convinced of like the worst case scenario, what's happening. And it's after the call, I was like, oh, like, I don't know if I can live in Europe. We got to get to South America. It feels safer. But then I sat with it for a while and it's like, A, nobody knows what's going to happen. No one knows where it's all going. And B, if there is some, you know, the devious powers trying to take control and all this stuff, like, well, Somebody's going to have to be a, where all the action is fighting it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we're all going to die anyway. This is my conclusion. We're all going to die one day. And it's like, yeah, I could run away from the darkness of the world or I can just face it head on, you know? So I don't think, I don't know where it's going. I don't feel like worst case scenarios are playing out. If they are, it's going to take a really long time. And I think the human spirit is quite resistant to to a lot of this, uh, to any people trying to play God. So, but anyway. But they are God. Yeah, but in a different way, you know, trying to tell me and you how we should live our life. More and more, I'm just so turned off by any, any, human beings pretending to know what's best for all of humanity and making decisions for that. You know, I think it's fucking gross and it really turns me off. And so, yeah, part of my process right now is like trying to figure out, well, where to live long-term we're going to have a baby and where can we raise our family and not, and not be so subject to other people in, and this top-down approach of making decisions for what's best for people in society and enforcing it. It's like, fuck you. Sorry for my language, but more and more that really bothers me. I, I don't like most government function. I think it's totally unnecessary. We think we need it, but we really don't. So anyway, <laughs> power to the people. Let's get free. <laughs> Actually, it makes me think of a quote, uh, and I grabbed my phone, which I don't really do on the podcast but 
this po- this quote's been coming up a lot in my mind lately because of all this stuff that's happening and you know I've talked about before like I wake up in the morning and I turn on and I do everything I can to avoid this but like turn on my Facebook and it's like I usually have tasks on Facebook to do respond to comments or whatever and sometimes I slip into the feed and it's like the the tornado of confusion and anger and raw fear fear fucking fear and uh yeah so Last night we did a practice with a, a Rinpoche, this Tibetan practice we've been doing, and he said something funny. He said, you know, it used to be when you go walking or hiking that you see somebody and about six feet away you start to feel their fear. He says, now during coronavirus time, you see somebody on the trail and you feel their fear 20 feet away or 30 feet away, and it's bigger and it's stronger. He says, so all I do is I pull my mask down and I smile and I wave. And hopefully they can feel from my side the love and joy and peace just as far away. He's like, they should be able to. They can still see my smile. I just, uh, I appreciated his humorous way of saying, I butchered it because he's much funnier than I am, but. But no, it's, yeah, it's important. Gotta keep on smiling. Because I found myself in situations like when I was in Europe and you have to wear a mask everywhere and that I would really go out of my way to like smile under the mask, but smile so big that they can see it in my eyes and try to be funny, try to say something nice, you know, just try to break the ice. Cause you have to make extra effort when you can't really see their mouth facial expressions. So now they have these see-through masks and it's like, part of me is like, yeah, that's a good idea. But then again, it's like, then we're starting to normalize masks. We're trying to make them, so it's it's easier to wear them. I don't want it to be easy to wear. See through masks, you can see the facial expressions. I just pull my mask down and smile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hold your breath. <gasps> but uh <clears throat> so this quote came up and I'm not going to pronounce the the author's name but I can post it in the group. Um but it's it's kind of been my mantra for the last couple of days. Ordinary life or the emancipated state. Good or bad, understanding or lack of understanding. There is nothing to accept or reject. Everything is empty and perfect from the start. View meditation and conduct. View meditation and conduct are just this. All the commitments to be kept are just are also just this. It's like they're already perfect. It's already perfect. Yeah. It's it's okay. We're okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was after that phone call with my friends in Columbia, like I was I sat there and I kind of just went down the rabbit hole, you know, just like fear and where is it all going? And then I researched Agenda 2030. And then and then this reminder came in. I mean, a few things happened. One is the deep reminder of like, everything's okay, no matter what. There's a, there's, the, the spirit can't be defeated no matter what. So... This body might die. Maybe it'll die prematurely. I don't know. But it doesn't matter, really. It's easy to say that, of course, but it's true. It's easy to say that. Of course, when I was confronted with the possibility of death, at least I thought I was, in Gabon, I lost my shit, so I'm by no means uh, proficient at handling it. But, but when I have moments of peace, I can at least reflect on that and recognize that it it really doesn't matter what happens out in the external world. You know, I just need to keep cultivating my internal garden 
and plant seeds that are uh, conducive to love and growth and connection and the world will do what the world will do, but uh, you can't take that away. So, Well, it's like, let's say, yes, all of the conspiracies are right right now. They're going to put chips in our arms. They're going to lock us down. They're they're going to control the world and every one of your movements are going to track. They're going to vaccinate you. They're going to make sterilize you sterilize people. A zombie. <laughs> so let's imagine that's true. Let's imagine the worst case scenario, which it probably won't happen. But imagine it. Okay, I'm imagining. I lost my train of thought. Uh, well, at the end of the day, you're going to die. No. <laughs> So imagine it's it's over. They've they've won. But what have they won? What are they stopping in, in, in putting you in a box and tracking your every movement? What what does that actually do to us? Uh, I don't know. Okay. It's like going to jail. Like what a lot of people go to jail but they're being tracked every moment. They're being watched every moment. It sucks, but they find a way through it. Yeah, a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of stories of enlightenment in jail. Or we come, we become super ripped. <laughs> I kind of thought that would happen when we started Lucky Town. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to get really strong. I'm going to do push-ups every day. <laughs> that's what I imagine when I get to Berlin. I think I'm going to, I think that's what's going to happen. Because it's winter. It's cold. I won't have all my friends there, you know, at first, so... I think I'm just going to get ripped. I'm just going to uh, work out, get really strong. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can't take everything away until we're dead. And it's like, if they're, you know, this conspiracy, the people taking away are also people. They're not, I think we give them a little too much credit. Um, the only thing that, the only difference is on the level of material possession. They have a lot of power through wealth. But other than that, they're probably quite weak in a lot of other ways. Um, and it, it's like, yeah, they're human too. Okay. They're going to die too. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, I just want to say, and the other thing that happened after I went down that rabbit hole and I had that conversation and I was all f- afraid, then I had another conversation with another friend um, who... You know, I shared that, and he knows these people. He's like, yeah, well, they don't know. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Like, just having a friend to put things into perspective, it's just like, instead of me sitting quietly with all these fears and going down these rabbit holes on the internet, to, to share it with someone and for them just to reflect something really simple, like, nobody knows where it's going. Like, no one can pretend to know. You can find all these websites where people are just laying it out. What's the next nine years going to look like? And... Every, every step that's going to be taken, it's like, no one knows. So we don't know. Not even the people, you know, in power who might have an agenda. They don't know how it's going to turn out. They don't know how humans will respond, how we'll resist or not, or I don't know. But we live in such an infinitely vast, intelligent, living system, nature. And we're a part of that system of nature, this living intelligence. How How can we ever stop nature? It's like... There's this idea of, of like weather control, weather modification, and chemtrails. It could be a part, part of, of weather mod- modification, but uh, 
in in the idea of weather modification, there was a scientist who who came forward and who was like, "How do we know what the repercussions for our actions will be with weather modification? Like our current calculations on weather is still we're still learning weather. You know, it's still unpredictable at moments. There's still EF four tornadoes that come out of nowhere. Like, how can we ever?" assume we know that if we create a hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico that it won't have larger repercussions down the line. They don't. Nobody does. Nobody can... Like, we're we're living in such a, a small bandwidth of understanding in this world, and for us to think with our little egos, yeah, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm gonna rule everyone. I'm gonna dominate the world. Yeah, good luck, bud. Good luck. That's the voice of the world dominator. Yeah. I'm going to take over. I'm going to win. Yeah. I just more, I just said it earlier, but more and more, I, I think this whole, this whole past year has brought a lot of stuff to light. And what I'm seeing is a lot of people trying to play God. And it's becoming really clear and evident to me. And I used to kind of think that they were kind of like God. They just knew better. And they're somehow superior. But they're not. And I just feel so much resistance to people playing God and um, legislating their power as God and making decisions for us, for us, like all humans, as if our experience, as if we can't find our own way. Like, no, fuck that. You can't play God on me, man. (laughs) Like... I mean, you can try and people do. That's why we have to have passports and all these rules and stuff that we didn't come up with. So we play the game, but but nobody's nobody's our God, you know? I mean, I think what the it'll they'll try and do is like, well, you have to obey these laws in order to have some freedoms. In order to travel, you're going to do this travel. and this. And, and it reminds me of like, my mom dated this guy when I was a kid. I did not like him. I didn't like him either. He was a mean person. And uh, he had this system of teaching his children how to live their lives and be good kids and do their chores and their homework and all these things. It was called the point system. It's this way of parenting where if if the child does something good, you give them a certain number of points. And once they've earned a certain number of points, they can spend it on... uh, playing with their friends or like 10 minutes of video games or... And it just... Every cell in my body was like, no, there's no way I'm going to listen to this guy. I rebelled a lot. I, in fact, towards the end of this relationship my mom had with this gentleman, I was getting, I was packing my bags to run away. <laughs> and I had, I put like my favorite toy in there and stuff and all these, these fun things. So you had to earn being able to be free versus other styles of parenting where you're, you start free. And then if you mess up, then you get grounded, so you get those points taken away. But you, it sounds like, had to earn the points in order to go play with your friends. For only six months, but I really, re- I mean, I was such a terrible That's... child during this time that I really had zero, I was like the worst child in this household and always had no points. And there was like a big scoreboard yeah. or like this whiteboard that everyone would write. But it lasted six months. Oh yeah, it was awful. It didn't even last as long as communism. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think there's, you know, 
an inherent nature within everyone that rejects any form of ideology or mentalities or uh, systems of how to function and live because we just inherently know they're false. I think a lot of people don't inherently reject it anymore. I think it's so... It's been such a gradual change over the years, you know, of more and more control, top-down control. And so many of us are just happy to be distracted. To have, As long as, you know, I can sit on the couch and watch Netflix, like, well, whatever, you know. Uh, and so we don't realize it. But if you were to take someone, I think, from a lot of different societies 100, 200 years ago, they would really notice it. They'd be like, what? You know, but it's been so gradually implemented that we kind of take it for granted. Um, so I, I don't know if a lot of, if everybody has that inherent resistance to top-down control, you know? Well, let's go back to our episode 17 where we were neutralizing thoughts. So if yes, thank we're you. so afraid of this ideology of, you know, we don't want to be locked down and all this. What's that? What, what if I actually really wanted that? I want to see what they think like, like what I feel like people don't know what's best for themselves. We don't, we don't know what's right for us. And I feel that especially with coronavirus, a lot of people, they're ignoring the rules, <laughs> i.e. like we, how we started. And they don't, they don't, they're just, they're ruining it for everyone. It's like in school when that one kid won't shut up so we can go to recess and that one kid keeps acting out and being loud and so we all get stuck in class because that one kid won't just shut up so we can go out to recess i think i think that's good i think we should all be vaccinated too that way it just there's no way for it to spread we don't need to worry we can go back to having normal life like right like how why would you not want to be vaccinated oh that's a good point man yeah all right cool i'm down but but let's vibe with this. What's what? Why wouldn't Let, you want to be vaccinated? Come on, man. Um. Yeah. So th- that's an interesting topic, though. Vaccinations, right? It's very it's a very hot topic. And uh, I wouldn't want to be vaccinated because I don't trust it. And I, a lot. And it seems when I talk to people who are actually very scientific and even people that play a role in developing vaccines they think it's totally silly that i would think this way you know like those are just conspiracies that the vaccines are gonna mess you up like they're legit they're it's safe it's fine but i don't trust it why because it's i don't know um why because the people developing it are really smart and they're getting paid a lot but they don't fully have skin in the game in terms of taking it seriously because like I, I'm the one who just has to receive the vaccine. Like if I developed it myself, I would trust it, but it, there's just something about putting something in my body. I just don't trust. I, I just, I don't know. I just don't trust it. But these are doctors with years and years of education. They're super intelligent. Yeah, that's true. Um, and also, I trust my body. I trust my body's intelligence. Like, our, we're 
designed or were evolved and designed to naturally defeat viruses and it's actually healthier to go through that process naturally and if the virus kills me well okay the virus kills me I don't think it will and there's so many natural plants and uh, that I can choose to drink and consume that can I know will help me I trust the plants because these doctors as smart as they are they worked on the vaccine for what eight months and now they're going to give it to me whereas these plants have been providing medicine for time immemorial immemorial forever and their medicine is perfect and it's natural and it's not going into my rna like the corona vaccine it's an rna vaccine i don't know too much about rna but i just know that it's a different kind of vaccine traditional vaccine they they vaccinate you with a small very small tiny sampling of a virus but it's small enough for your body to develop antibodies and right but this vaccine essentially like recodes your RNA. So it's basically like goes into the computer program and just like recodes some shit. It's fucked up. Um, I, at least my mind thinks it's fucked up. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but I just don't trust it. Maybe, maybe you're selfish because you, what if you just spread, you're going to spread the virus everywhere because you you're not vaccinated. Well, to be honest, I mean, if I were in charge, I would, I would be for letting it just spread. And I would have a real, I would have a, I would be the leader, right? And I would get on, get on TV live by the fireplace. And I'd say, all right, my fellow Americans, we need to have a conversation. And I would lay it down and I'd lay down. We have two choices. We can uh, put all of our resources and give up all of our businesses and shut everything down so that we can slow down the inevitable which is viruses get around inevitably, or we can just let the virus go, just let it go. And the most vulnerable, we that's where we put our resources to protect them for as long as needed until we develop medicines. And then I would consult with all the great curanderos. I would call Felix, I would call a lot of different Shipibos. I would call my teacher in the jungle and um, I would work with them and they would work in in the astral and they would work on different levels of uh, frequency to combat this because it exists not just physically. It's And I would also um, make plant diets widely available across the world. Um, but we'd have to get a lot of curanderos involved because they they say that this is easy to deal with <laughs> so but yeah i'd get really real i'd say listen people we're all going to die one day and we need to really weigh the cost and benefits of this virus knowing that the outcome the worst outcome death is going to happen anyway so this is a really hard conversation to have my friends uh but let's really really consider this and and I, I think it's best to just let it get through the healthiest part of the population. You can shelter the vulnerable long enough for the virus to work through those who can handle the virus to eventually reach a herd immunity. I think that's still on the table. So that's what I would propose uh, to, to the American people as president. President. President Bannock. 
Yeah, I would love to be the president sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it looks like it's really hard. You have to deal with a lot of hate no matter who you are. And, but uh, I had those, I talked about this. I had those ceremonies. I had a series of ayahuasca ceremonies where I laid out, laid out the plan for how I can become president. And at the time I was like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to be president. Like I took it. I, I was still at a stage where I thought ayahuasca was telling me that that's what I have to do. Whereas to me now, that's more of ayahuasca showing me a, that anything's possible and B that at that time, that's something that was a desire of mine. You know, I still think it would be interesting. Uh, I would, I would, I would work hard for, for the world if I were president and I would dismantle uh, most government functions to a bare minimum and I would give the power back to the people and I might get assassinated because a lot of people want to hold on to their power but if I get assassinated uh, that would probably spark a big enough change in the world it would be a big turning point <laughs> you know so I'd take, take one for the team and then I'd be reborn in Hawaii my next life and I just play the ukulele. <laughs> you could write a book. That could be a book. It could be a whole story. The story about the president who became a ukulele player. But this is the challenge is like we have extremely educated people on both sides. Both sides. You know, we have these virologists, expert virologists mm -hmm. who are like, you cannot stop a virus. A virus will spread. Period. We have to let the immune system, this natural part of our being, learn learn, and, and create the antibodies for it naturally. Then there's the, the counter-argument that this is deadlier and you know faster spreading and it's, it's global already and all this, all this story. It's even hard to play the devil's advocate and be like, yeah, you, we should all be vaccinated all the time. Because I agree with you. I think that nature already has the answer. Nature's always had the answer. This is why in the Shipibo villages, as my teacher was telling me, there, there's three cases in their village. They cured it in two days. It literally took them two days to get rid of this virus. And Devil's Advocate would also say, you know, apparently a, a vast number of indigenous people died because of the common cold when the Spanish... When the conquistadors came, they brought viruses that you know Europe was used to dealing with, and it was minimal, but it just devastated people here, right? So, what if those viruses were just like mindsets? Because the European mindset is very different than the indigenous mindset. What if that was like? It's interesting because I'm talking to the Shipibo. Sometimes the Shipibo are like, you know, I have a really hard time working with Westerners because their minds are so different. They're so weird. And that's because the way we think and the way we get anxious about things, the way we fear things, the way we create stories in our head is very different than the way they do. Like they're very, I don't want to say all of them, and this is not, this is a very broad statement, but a lot of them are very present in their reality, you know, and they don't, they don't get caught up in the story so much. And, and I think Nowadays, we have 10 million stories that we can get caught up in all the time. All, that's why I'm saying this, you know, 
I don't even want to turn on Facebook in the morning. I'm so tired of people hating everyone. <laughs> I'm so tired of people saying that it doesn't matter which side. Oh, you know, we need vaccines or we don't need vaccines. It's just, it's irrelevant to what my inner space can be like at the beginning of a day. And it's like I'm trying more and more to, instead of like picking up the news or picking up my phone in the morning, just go straight to listening to like happy music or start reading a book or something different that starts to shift my mindset into being present where I am now. And as I share with these Tibetan practices that Saf and I have been doing with this Rinpoche, he keeps, we're working with the elements, so all five elements. And one of the main elements is space that we're working on right now. <clears throat> and I didn't realize how much space I was lacking in my life. I was lacking space, and not even like due to external circumstances, but internal circumstances. I wasn't giving my mind space. And I wasn't feeding space. I wasn't allowing space to give me nourishment. And it's challenging because... I think the world demands, and I'm on a podcast right now, but I think the world demands some sort of opinion in some senses. Not demands, but it, there's, a, there's a thing with opinions. They're like, they're like TV shows. You know, they have their drama. They have, oh, that's a side that I don't agree with, or that's a side I totally agree with. I'm on that team. I'm on Team Lannister. I, I think that's somebody from Game of Thrones. But... We keep, we keep jumping into these little pools of, of fear of opinion, in opinions. And like I, I can even see myself when I get stuck in that, even in the podcast realm, of being afraid of my opinion, of sharing my opinion. You know, and you know what? I don't, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of things that are happening, but I also think it doesn't even matter what my opinion is. I want to differentiate between opinion and like my sense, my feeling about things. Like I don't have an opinion about this vaccine or maybe I do, but it doesn't matter. I just don't trust it. And that's not related to opinion. It's like a body related trust. There's just something I just don't trust. And people are throwing around opinions a lot, but I find it a lot more useful to take the time to explore these different ideas and sides and just feel into what feels most aligned and, and correct, regardless of opinion, but just what feels in line with like my bullseye in life or, and, and, you know, back to the vaccination thing, it's a tricky one because, you know, part of what I don't want about a vaccine, again, it's people trying to play God and trying to impose something on me on my body because they think they know what's best and so i'm against i'm against people playing god at the same time people who are really afraid of this virus will say well well, if we have leaders that just say let's let the virus spread and not you know and not lock down then those leaders are also playing god and they're putting me at risk so it's a tricky one, right, from both sides because either way somebody's got to kind of play god because if this requires some kind of mass decision but again, I think that if people stop playing God on from a top-down approach and let us as individuals decide, I'll decide if I want to isolate or not. I'll decide if I want to quarantine or not. My favorite argument with vaccines, though, is 
if if you're not vaccinated, you put me at risk, even if I have the vaccine. Which is not true, right? But how does that make sense? So if if it's my personal or your personal decision to say no to a vaccination, then and you are really afraid of the virus, and you take the vaccine, you're good. You're all good, man. You're safe. Everybody's safe. Yeah. So why does it have to be that everybody gets it? Like in Peru, they they voted that they'll it'll be a required mandatory vaccine. I I've no I don't foresee them being able to pull that off. But anyway, that's the idea, and it's like, well, what what's the point of that? Like, what? I don't understand. That would be like, I I'm cooking dinner for myself. I have a hundred potatoes, and three potatoes is all I need. But I decide to cook them all because I'm just going to cook them all. It's a waste. It's stupid. It doesn't. It's a terrible analogy, anyway. But yeah, but there's. I don't understand why would everybody have to get it. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Herd immunity comes at a much lower rate. You, you know, whoever wants to get vaccinated and the most vulnerable, they might encourage them to get vaccinated. Great. And then it's done. That seems really simple. It's super simple. So that so when I think about that, that's what makes me think there is some kind of devious conspiracy because it doesn't make any sense. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to research the the logic and science behind everybody getting vaccinated. But it makes zero sense. It does. Because I, I remember when uh, in the States they were giving out free flu shots uh, at Walgreens or something like that, CVS pharmacy. And I remember everyone kind of talking about it. And then the one time I did that, I got the flu. Exactly. <laughs> but a lot of people were like, oh, you know, my kids are going to school vaccinated. And this is I'm listening to my fellow fellow colleagues. And and these other mothers are just so against it. And they just, they won't get their kids vaccinated. Now they're putting my child at risk. But if your child has the flu vaccine. And it really is what it's supposed to be. Then how is your child at risk? So anyways, th- within that, yeah, I, I find that there's maybe, maybe not even conspiratorial sense to the vaccination. But there's, it just, it's, it's mind candy that puts me in places that I don't want to be that are less empowering to me if, if I think, okay, you know, there's, you know, the Great Reset, this New World Order really wants to take over the world. And they're, they're wealthy, they're well-organized, they have military power, they are, they're scary. Cool. Well, if I say no to a vaccine, are they going to throw me in jail? Probably. Cool. All right. Well, I know all my practices for each day, and I'm going to keep practicing. I'm going to get stronger spiritually. And then I think, though, what if, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a father and then I'm faced with that choice. Go to jail or take the vaccine. Lose my family, take the vaccine. I'd probably take it. <laughs> like, to be honest, it's it's tricky. And this new world order idea, I think essentially it already exists. So we're okay. It's already in place in a lot of ways. Uh, just looking at how the world works. I mean, more and more, I just see so clearly the absurdity to a lot of international relations, to the wars that are happening. It's total manipulation. It's, it's so stupid. It's has nothing to do with our well-being as humanity. It's silly. It's like a joke. It's just a chess game of power. 
And um, But you can get up from the board and you can walk away from the game. You don't have to play that game anymore. But the game still like has an impact on me, right? Like it impacts maybe it'll impact more and more how I can travel or where I can go. And mentally I can stop playing the game. Uh but it does present some potential physical limitations about about where for me my biggest concern is like where I can be and being able to choose where we live. You know, that's that's a fear that comes up sometimes. Um But it's interesting even that, like how there's a fear that you may not be able to be in the place you want to be because you're not following a rule that somebody gave you. Mm-hmm. Man, that doesn't that doesn't sound fair. What kind of world is that? And why would we want to live in that? That and the, and yeah, and that's why I don't foresee these worst case scenarios coming true because there's just too many people to resist that. You know, um, I think we could see a lot of uh, instability over the coming years as things are more and more brought to light. And people are faced with a choice, or people are recognize how their choices have been taken away. I mean, people, we've seen this story play out throughout human history and civilizations. People rebel. <laughs> I mean, that's how the United States was founded, right? It was founded from people fleeing top down totalitarian government control and taxation. So they went to start their own thing. And then they had a revolution, and then there was a civil war. And it's not like I don't think it ever. I don't think there's ever a point where the new world order just takes over and it's game over. <laughs> it's never game over. There will always be resistance. It's always a, it's a chess game. It's a game of give and take. And but the idea of like mandatory lockdowns again. A year ago, if we, we said that there's the, most of the world is going to be in mandatory lockdowns or mask mandates. Like, that is preposterous. It's people playing God. And the more they get to play God, the more they get attached to that. It's, yeah. I need to run for office so I can play God over the people playing God, dismiss them of their... God powers. <laughs> I, I sometimes I get these grandiose thoughts, man. I really do. <laughs> I think we all do. Got to save the world. Yeah. That I think of the thing, <clears throat> the ultimate terrible thing happens and they, they win, so to speak. They win their they game. They can't win though, right? But what, let's say they win. Okay, let's play that game. Let's say they win. What am What am I going to do? Am I going to run out with a sword and take down the empire? Like, is this Lord of the Rings? Am I going to destroy a ring and then save the world? Is there anything I can do on my 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 personal scale to change the world? You can change yourself within. I'm I'm asking. I don't know. Well, firstly, like, what does it even mean for them them to win? To me, them winning means all resistance ceases, and they just get their way, and everybody goes along with it. I think that's impossible. They they can implement more and more measures and laws but they never fully win because people just keep resisting and so it'll never be the outcome that they actually want you know this has been if this is what it is you know this process of new world order has been in been in the works for a long time in fact it's already very much in play you know you could argue it's been in the works since world war one world war two un was created 
alliances were created. It's just been a slow and steady power grab. But here we are, 2020, and we're still having these conversations. We're still looking within. We're still accessing plant medicines. We're still learning from ancient traditions. You know, that... So it doesn't really matter in a sense, no matter how much control people have over us, we can lock ourselves in a closet and go within. So I don't think that means we should be nihilistic about it and just give up any sort of resistance, but it also takes some pressure off of the situation because I think people, people that really get caught up in these conspiracies, they're essentially in their idea it's like they really think that someone can just take it all away from them they really think that they're at the mercy of other human beings and i firmly believe that's totally untrue that no matter what it's me and within and god (laughs) and no amount of control is going to stop that but maybe materialistically they could well that's then like we talked about in the money podcast like the people that hate rich people are just as addicted to money as the rich person because they put all the value in that. So yeah, they can materially make us materially poor. And, but again, I mean, read uh, man's search for meaning by Victor Frankl, Victor Frankl. I think so. This is the guy who was in concentration camps, you know, and he documented his journey there and, and, and just the people that made it out, you know, were the ones that kept a purpose alive. They kept hope and faith and kept a recognition that there's something greater at play. And um, this guy, Victor Frankl, developed a whole therapy based on this um, called, Lo- I think, Logos, Logo Therapy. But basically, really, I believe it's just something around really defining our purpose and working from that just like the bullseye we talked about a few episodes ago that the bullseye is going to be there regardless of the outside influences and we just keep 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 our eye on that bullseye whatever that is for each of us and again uh there's always there's always anytime like oh a pathway to material abundance is cut off by some power. There's like another way. There's always another way. There's always a way. Humans were super resilient, man. Do you know what we've been through in our history as human, as humanity? No, what? Do you know what your ancestors have been through? What have they done? Man, they just been through it all. They've been through wars and famines and, uh, uh, sickness and, and violence and, oppression and slavery and and here we are you know so we're super resilient and you know when i lived in africa it's like i lived in the the poorest part of the poorest continent on the planet right and just seeing the resilience and the ingenuity that emerges when people experience like serious material lack like seeing kids that have nothing, but they're super happy because they built out of a sardine can. They built this kind of like uh, car. They would take a. They would, this was a toy kids made. They would take a sardine can, 
And then with some rubber bands and some sticks and some wood that they would carve into wheels, they would create this little car with a steering wheel that they drove the little sardine can car around and they had a blast with it. So just that, that resourcefulness and that uh, ingenuity emerges when, 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 when we have to, when we have to find a way. So, so the human resilience, it doesn't matter who's in power or what they're doing. We always find a way. We find a way to keep going, to have purpose, to develop meaning in our life. And, um, and then we die, man. And then we start over or whatever happens with a clean slate. Maybe we go to the a more godlike dimension where, where we just drink wine and sit under a tree and manifest whatever we want. Who knows? This is a hard school. But I think the only way that the New World Order has power over us or any top-down governmental... The only way it has power is if we give it power with our mind. That's the only way. You can tie me up, but my power is only given away when I give up. Hmm. Or you're afraid. And I think I think fear has been the biggest tool of manipulation since since day one. I think that you know, on a smaller scale it's like we have fear to be honest in our life because we're afraid of losing something material. And this is why I said material things like, yeah, you know what? They can, they can take everything material away from you. They can take your family away from you. They can separate you from your family. They can separate you from, from everything that you thought brought you sustenance in your life. They can throw you in gas chambers. They can burn you alive. You know, and for some people that, that is a very strong end. That's enough to fear. That's enough to be paralyzed it's enough to not live your life and I don't think a lot of people understand this idea of I'm making an assumption but this understanding of death can be liberation as well and so I think that's why a lot of people are starting to to push forward the same direction they're going it makes sense I don't want to lose my house I don't want to live in the bushes I don't want to live in a box I don't want to get rid of my Netflix I don't want to lose my family. You know, and, and there was many people, many generations that actually had that. You know, but you're right, they are resilient. They were resilient. And man, I've met Holocaust survivors and they're just they're beautiful human beings. I can't imagine the things they've faced, the things they've seen. And I never had the courage to ask them. I was also a bit younger, but I never had the courage to ask them like, How'd you do it? How'd how how are you smiling right now? Why are you smiling right now? Shouldn't you like continue to hold on to this pain and this trauma that you've just faced in your lifetime? The terrible things you saw other human beings doing to each other? Yeah, I don't know. I, and I don't want to even speak as like a super optimistic mentality either because that that can even be false. You know, I think like we get a, a sense of like a pushing away or a, 
uh, an aversion to people who who have this mentality of they know or they are God, like gurus or you know whatever great masters or teachers. As soon as they start giving us that, we know they're just as much a rascal as the devil. You know, hey man, I can sell you freedom from your mind. But what if that was like plugging into the matrix? Hey man, this is how I'm gonna sell uh uh what's it called? Virtual reality. Doesn't your world suck? Don't you aren't you afraid of all these things that are happening? Don't you wanna be free in a place where you can manifest anything you want at any point? Virtual reality. The new world. The world where we can live super free. We can be superheroes. You can be anything you want. Isn't that amazing? It's virtual reality. We can do that already. Yeah. Do you think it's natural, like it's our human nature to kill each other? To dominate each other? No, I think that's... that's you think a it's a virus? Influx. Yeah. I think there's just like a virus that's been in humanity for longer than we've been able to track but it's not natural like because the nihilistic approach is like well this is just how humans are we're just cruel but i look in myself and in others and i don't see that i don't know anybody that wants to control everybody but again i don't know people that are addicted to power i don't know people that have so much power that they can't let it go but it, it just seems like I really think it's possible a worlds where there isn't people playing God, a world where we make decisions as human beings and we have organization at a small community level, you know, to help organize ourselves and make sure that, you know, nobody's left on the streets and, you know, we care for the feeble and, but I really think that's, that's our nature. That's where we, that's that's the bullseye for me for humanity and you know i think there's some some things that seem really good that have emerged that are that can bring us to that and one of those is uh like blockchain and cryptocurrency we talked about ever since our money episode the last episode was that the last episode yeah i've because i talked a little bit about cryptocurrency and how i feel like it's going to blow up next year so then, but since then, I've really gone in, gotten into it and like really researched what it is and gotten a better understanding. And basically, I mean, at its essence, it removes all function of government intermediaries and bureaucracies and power. Essentially, it's, it's a medium of exchange. It's just peer to peer and nobody can control it. And it's designed so that you can't mess with it. You can't hack it. You can't. And so, so that's like a development that I think is actually really good for this kind of libertarian view of like, let human, let us be in power of our own lives. Let us organize ourselves. We don't need a central government power or a great world authority to determine the course of humanity because they think they know what's best. They don't know shit, man. And the only way that that system works is because they control the money. It's, it's all banks, banks controlling money and cr printing money and using that to control us. So you take that power away with something like cryptocurrency. 
and it's a whole new world. A whole new world where there's no need for these stupid chess game wars for resources and power because those who direct that no longer have their power. Can can any act of or any program of accretion or gaining something, does that negate war? Because even with cryptocurrency, we're still trying to gain something. Mm. I don't know. You know, I think there is bound to be people who will break social contracts, break break what's decent in order to accrue more. That's something to deal with, I think. But again, I think that's also a virus. And that... And that virus is also a result of a resistance to top-down control. I don't think we'd have as many hackers and thieves in the world uh, if we were allowed to govern ourselves freely. Hackers and thieves exist within a system that actually has loopholes for them to thrive. So what what is the, the main virus? Because I've... <clears throat> I played with this idea a lot because I have that same, I have a belief that there was a virus or this a mentality that came into the world that was counter to nature or counter to truth. And it infected people or it started infecting people slowly. And even in a, Apocalypto, the Mel great Gibson movie. movie. Great movie. Intense. But they have the, the part where they see these people walking through the forest after they finished a hunt and the people were afraid and the guy walks over to his the main character walks over and his father's like did you see what was on those people he's like no sock and sock <laughs> fear rotting fear and he said fear is like he's like a virus and it spreads from person to person and it's it'll eat you alive eventually. And then there's the part after that where the father dies. He's literally beheaded in front of his son, the main character. And he's just sitting there. And he lets them kill him. Unaffected by it. Because he lived a life of no fear, no matter what. Didn't matter what it was. Didn't matter if he watched his village get ravaged and destroyed. So what what is the virus that got in? fear I mean it's a really good point uh, about fear and we've talked about this that it's, it's a the greatest mechanism of control is fear what is the virus that got in listeners do you have any answer what is the virus what do you think Felix I think I mean I think fear because from fear it stems and it's funny because I, I have like uh, Donnie Darko in my head. Have you seen Donnie Darko? Yeah, great soundtrack. Great, <laughs> great soundtrack, funny movie, great movie. But uh, there's like the inspirational speaker that comes to the school and he's like, there's only fear or love. And Donnie Darko just rips him a new, you know. So I, I, I hear that in the back of my head when I say this. But yeah, I, I think that fear 
fear is the mind killer. Fear is what destroys us. Fear is an acronym. False evidence appearing real. Boom. Because there, you know, I think there's two types of fear. One type is the predominant kind that's illusory. And then there's like the fear for your life because a lion is chasing you or someone's chasing you down to beat you up. It's a different kind of thing because it's actually, it's not false evidence. It's, there's really evidence that my physical life is threatened. Um, but most of the fear that people are controlled with is false evidence appearing real. It's just, it's a fear in the mental realm that doesn't, the story around that fear doesn't actually exist. So like fear of the other, fear of the other side, fear of fear of the new world order. Like it's not founded in reality. It's just a virus, a mental virus. And from that virus causes us to make decisions and to put up walls around ourselves from other human beings. And then, we're afraid of other human beings. And so we isolate ourselves even more. And maybe we even start wars with the other because we fear to live a life without fear. I mean, that's really, isn't, I guess that's freedom. No matter what's happening in the world, if, if there's no fear about it, then, then that's it. That's it. That's, that's the game. That's how you step away from the chessboard. Now, how do we, dismantle the fear virus within ourselves well it's a tricky tricky bugger it's a very tricky bugger because it wants us to to create stories at all moments and fear is just it's a it's like the wind it's there and it'll blow and it pushes us but fear never really has a story unless we give it one so if I'm in a social situation, like I think of my past life when I was trying to be cool. I had a social situation and I walk into a room and you know, I'm wearing my uh, metal militia shirt and my baggy pants because I want to look cool, you know. In some senses, I'm already interacting with my friends from a facade of fear. I'm already enabling Fear of that. rejection. Fear of rejection. I don't even interact with them in a pure sense. And I don't. And it's such a palpable thing when you see people start to put a facade on or a, a mask to protect something. And wait, wait, so so fear is essentially somebody protecting something. Mm -hmm. Or we're protecting, we're defending, we're fighting against something. So what am I fighting against? What am I really, really afraid of? What am I really afraid of? When I walk into a room... And I want to be liked. You're afraid of uh, getting exiled from the tribe? And, and what? <clears throat> Which is a form of death. I mean, if we look at our ancestral roots, it was all about, if you were exiled, it was pr kind of a death sentence. You lose all connection. It's all, you're up in the wilderness. And but that doesn't necessarily work in this, this. It's an old program. It's an old program that maybe still operates, right? Right. So I'm defending my social standing <laughs> so I can remain in the in, tribe, in the pack. I want to be a, one of the wolves. And, and 
let's negate that. Let's even go like from person to person, from interaction to interaction. And it's like, I see you, Al. Do I do I need a certain voice to talk to you? Do I need to have a certain mentality to talk to you? If I if I don't have that mentality, will you actually not like me? If I'm conflicting in your ideas, will you not like me? And if you don't, what does that mean for you for me? Hmm. And why am I afraid of that? Because isn't it at least my experience is like the people, the coolest people I know are the ones who don't care about what I think. And like the more authentic someone is, the more I love them. And yet I myself knowing that less now, but still will try to want to be accepted and make that effort. But like, a, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but if I were different in some way or form, would you not like me? No. I'd still love you. But but why do I think that you won't like me? The programs. But why does that matter? Why why should I and then and then why do I put in the front something else to interact with you or each person I, I come in contact with in order to to keep safe from something, from not being liked. And I think that and I'm aware that I do this. I'm aware that there are moments where I put this imaginary figure or this imaginary character forward that I think that this person will like. I could be a I could be a chameleon if I really want to. We're all chameleons. And we walk into a room and we see a bunch of people who are all jujitsu guys. What if I don't like fighting? What if I don't want to be there? But I really want to hang out with these guys. I mean I do, I really like jujitsu. I love it. But so why am I why am I gonna be a chameleon in that situation? Why can't I just be like, hey, man, I actually really don't like jujitsu, But I want to hang out with you guys. I want to sit here and just watch. Is that okay? Man, I know the whole, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming the whole group would be like, yeah, man, sit down, watch. It's fun. It's fun to watch people roll. It's cool. But then I'm, I'm but again, I'm, I, I think within fear, we start to make this false world. Like you said, the, the, the fear acronym, false evidence appearing real. So not only are we, Afraid of the world because of false evidence appearing real, but internally, that fear creates a false world, and we start to interact with it. We start to play with it. Mm. Man, I gotta be, you know, I'm gonna be one of them guys. You know, I gotta wear my fucking Gucci hat. I love my Gucci hat, by the way. I gotta wear my Gucci hat, and I gotta, you know, I gotta talk like this. And you know, if I don't <laughs> talk like this, then I, nobody'd be cool. You know, they'll think I'm cool. Man, who gives a fuck? Excuse my language. Yeah. Who does? Honestly, people are so concerned. Everyone is so concerned about their personal appearance and how the rest of the world sees them within this weird, imaginary, false evidence appearing real that we don't even live a life. We stop everything. And then we start believing everything everyone says to us. And when people say, you're stupid, we believe them. Or if they say the new world order is going to take over. and We believe them. Yeah. I, you know, I found that one of the best parts about getting older is, I, in my experience, is a lot of that drops. I don't know if it's just because of getting older. It's because of everything, you know, all the plant medicines and stuff like that. But it just more and more, I just don't care what people think, how I look. 
what I wear. Uh, that's a really nice blessing because I think we get enough practice realizing how much effort we put into our appearance to others and how it doesn't really do anything. And if we only earn friends because we look cool, then those friends aren't going to last. That's the only reason they're friends, those shallow appearance-based friendships. So yeah, um, why do we do that? Because we're afraid of not being loved. We're afraid of losing love. We think that love is some finite resource that we have to accumulate by certain actions instead of love being all there is. And by attempting to accumulate it and viewing it as finite, we actually block ourselves from experiencing it. But it's why do you do it? It's the virus. I don't know. It's the virus. It's a, it's almost like habitual. It's like if we, if I go out into the city and I see somebody dressed up in all Gucci, you know why? Why are you wearing all Gucci? First of all, <laughs> I have a Gucci hat because it's ironic and it's hilarious. But I there are people that wear all Gucci that just own it. They own it because it's just that, and but they don't care. And those are the coolest Gucci. Like you wear a Gucci hat sometimes, and it's so cool. I love my Gucci hat. Man. Yeah, it's just goofy. And you're not wearing it to put on a facade. You're wearing it because it's it's just you, man. It just fits you. I guess. But but it's just there's there's a lot of things that I think I find within fear, and this is the the biggest challenge I think for people who want to undertake psychedelics is they're afraid. We're afraid of things in this this unknown realm, but all it is really showing you is all the facets of your mind and its mechanisms and and the strangeness of your mind. And well, you know, I'm afraid to meet divinity because <laughs> I'm afraid to have to unravel all of that and see what a, the joke I've played on myself. And I'm tired of playing that joke, but it's the best joke, and everyone's playing it, so I better keep playing that joke of I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. I gotta keep playing the joke of insecure. Because that's, that's how people actually interact. Man, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had at the bar where people are like, man, look at that guy over there. <laughs> look at him. You know, he's just stupid. He looks stupid. Look at his, look at his Gucci hat. <laughs> I like my Gucci hat. But <laughs> look at his Gucci hat. Look at his shoes he's wearing. We do it. It's this weird like virus of like cutting people down. And so we think when cutting people down, okay, well, if, if we're doing that behind that person's back, then... They're definitely doing that behind our back. It's like, here's the war. Here's the war we keep fighting with each other. It's like, I'm afraid and you're afraid, but let's not tell each other we're afraid. Mm -hmm. And let's not figure out what we're actually afraid of. I don't want to see that I've made my own fears. Mm -hmm. The greatest lie I've believed in my whole life is what I've made. But why do I keep playing it? To me, the way out of it is, like, how do we let go of um, fear and that program and that virus? I think it's to, like, step out of it, to have a practice. And for me, it's very spiritual. It's like the way to step out of the chessboard in the game is to step off the board. And what is off the board, to me, that's... It's, it's recognizing there's 
something much greater at play than my stories that I tell myself and and the rulers of the world and all that. They've got nothing on this greater thing that is untouchable, which I call God. So the way out of fear is like, for me, is continuously reminding myself through practices, whether it's plant medicine, meditation, or simply just contemplation about my place in the world and what is much greater than all of this and what is untouchable. And if I keep my awareness on that which is untouchable, which is the observer of everything, then there's no space for fear because it's untouchable. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of losing something. We're afraid of losing love, losing our friends, losing our reputation. But there's something that can't be lost, and that's that. That's that unnameable, beyond words, God. <laughs> and to me, a true spiritual practice, like a true connection with that, uh, is stepping out of the fear. The fear virus doesn't work on that realm. And if we really, truly live in that realm, day to day, moment to moment, then, then it's all good. Everything's okay. But I don't want to be free. Oh. I don't want to be free because I don't want to take responsibility. And I don't want to be free because there's always a new fear every time I turn on Facebook. And it's fun. <laughs> it's like a, the twists and turns in the TV show, man. I don't, I, I don't dump the TV show. I didn't, you know. I never watched Game of Thrones, but I watched people who were religious. And maybe, I don't know if you, you said you watched Game of Thrones. Were yes. you religious in it? Was I religious in it? I mean, were you really looking forward to each each yeah, episode? I was really into it. So great. I mean, but there's anxiety in that. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. The other day I went on Google and I Googled shows like Game of Thrones because I was craving that epic, violent drama, you know, and this show called Rome came up. It was on HBO and I started it and it like first scene is some dude getting whipped and I was like, and then I was like, ah, oh, shit, I forget that this is what these kinds of shows do. It's just going to ingrain itself in my subconscious, all this violence. So I turned it off, man. And I went back to Seinfeld season five. Um, yeah. It's, it really has an impact. But, but fear has a level of investment that's necessary in order for it to stay alive. So like we have to keep consuming these. Well, what about that program of The Shining? There's something oh, in yeah. your shower. The bathtub, yeah. You got to keep investing yeah. in it, man. Yeah. Every time you're in the bathroom, oh, shit, what if there's something in the shower? <laughs> I got to check the shower. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like if 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 I didn't watch the news, uh, the quote unquote news, if I didn't follow any of that, then yeah, I'll travel to Europe and I'll have to wear a mask in the airports, and it's kind of weird. But I'd kind of just laugh about it because there'd be no story about what it is and where it's going. None of that. It would just be weird. And but to really view it from that innocent place of just like no attachment to what it is and no no narrative that's been given to me by various people and news sources, then it would have a much different impact, right? It would just, we'd probably really see clearly the absurdity of a lot of it. 
That's interesting. And it's funny because it's still a media and we're still consuming it just like a TV show. I have a, a really great example uh, from Lord of the Rings. I'm a huge fan. The books are absolutely incredible and they go into a lot of depth of how the world functions in different ways and manipulation and whatnot. But in the first book, in The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin, they all run into Tom Bombardil. Now, I wish they would have shown Tom Bombardil in the movie so people could have seen the level of freedom that this man had. Tom Bombardil lived in the middle of the forest with his wife, just his wife. And all he did was tend to the forest. He spent all of his days out wandering the forest and making sure that the trees were growing happily. He lived a very, just a solitary life with his wife, but he's very happy. And there's something they keep repeating in the book that the wife keeps repeating is Tom, Tom Bombardil is master. He is a master. He's the master of his life. He is the master. And Tom Bombardil is old and he's lived there for the very beginning of the world. He was there. He's the master. He knows. And there's a part where they're all sitting and telling, sharing stories and Tom Bombardil's telling them all these stories about the trees and the owl that lives over there and this is his daily news. And then Frodo, you know, he's carrying the ring at this time and he's very concerned with this weight that's dragging him down. And he says, do you know what's happening out in the world? He says, oh, there's things happening here and there all the time. It's how the world works. Everything happens. But I know your, your, your struggles, little master, he calls him. <laughs> and Frodo pulls out the ring and he shows him. And Tom picks up the ring and he laughs. <laughs> and he spins the ring in his finger and it disappears. It vanishes. And all the hobbits, they freak out. And they're like, oh my god, he just stole the ring. We're screwed. This super powerful being now has the ring of power. And <laughs> Tom Bumber says, don't you fret. It's okay. Here's your little ring, master. And he gives it back to him. And he laughs. This huge, this is the, I mean, this is the, the whole reason there's three books. Uh, you know, this is the whole plight of their world is resting on this one ring to rule them all. And this man laughed at it. Tom Bombardil laughed at it. He was master. And, and I... I want to be the master of myself. I want to make sure I'm not investing anymore in somebody else's story. I have my own story to live. And man, it's it's weird. I'm not the most fascinating person in the world, but I have my own story and I'm going to live it. I'm the I'm going to be the master of my world. I'm going to be Tom Bombardil. And he has a great there's a great song. So if you listen to the audiobook, he has a great song. It's I'm Tom Bombadil, Tom Bombadil. He's like, my jacket is red and my shoes are my jacket's blue and my boots are yellow, and that's all he sings and he trots through the forest. Yeah, Tom Bombadil's my hero, but he lives this life just within nature. He doesn't get involved in the things of the world because he knows they mean nothing to him. The stories will come and go. The world's greatest fears will rise and fall. I like that. He kind of is the seems to be the archetype of the fool in a way. The fool who is actually no fool. Like the archetype of the fool, the 
the self-realized fool is the one who sees the game and just stays oblivious, like just doesn't engage with it. And they appear the fool to the observer. Meanwhile, they are the master because they just don't play the game. Any game. Because every time there, there's a interaction, I think, and especially in our modern time, there's a game that starts immediately. And people that people create books on this, like the 48 Rules to Power or the Law of Attraction or the Pickup Game. There's all these games that we can play with each other that are useless. But in, sometimes they're fun. They could be fun. My mental games go, are fun. But they have no value. And, you know, I think about Tom Bombardale. Like, it seems pretty idyllic. He's in the forest. So part of me is like, well, it's easy to be Tom Bombardale. You just live in the woods and there's... No, none of the concerns of society. But I think we can be Tom Bombardale's even in the city, right? Like all the concerns and madness of the city, but you can also be the person in the city who just watches it all, who maintains uh, an innocent fascination with the how the city works and the trees that grow in the city and the architecture and just look at everything and observe and just be fascinated by everything, but not engage in the futile attempts of somehow finding fulfillment through the activities of the city just to, to just to witness it to be the tom bombardale of the city to be the fool of the city i'm about to go to a city so i think about this you know like it's a very different environment than here um and i think it's going to be a great practice ground actually uh just to put a lot of this these insights and tools and self-reflection that i've experienced in my time in Peru um, to realize that it's applicable anywhere. You don't have to, I don't have to be an isolated in the jungle or in this beautiful rural place, which is absolutely beautiful. It can, it's a state of mind, right? So I look forward to, to seeing how I fare in the city and we'll have, keep having these conversations, which should help too, uh, just to bring it back. But, um, you know, Eckhart Tolle became enlightened in a city. I think he was in a park. He was sitting on a bench. He went through a hard time, but he just sat on the bench for weeks and weeks. And then he had a realization. And then once that realization really embodies, it doesn't matter where you are. I'll probably still eventually choose to live with the trees, you know what I mean? But they aren't, the forest isn't the reason for Tom Bombardil being who he is. He chose to live there because, well, I think when we're really clear and we no longer engage in the game, we can see really clearly what's healthiest and what's, uh, yeah, what's most conducive to just a healthy existence. And that's probably the forest or some something like that where we have access to the gifts of, of nature. But you just came and got your batteries charged from the beauties of mm -hmm. these incredible valley of Peru. And I just think of what the Rinpoche said, you know, you know, I can spread smiles just as much as they spread fear. Right. I can spread good vibes just as much as they spread fear. Right. Why do I, I'm not going to, I don't want to spread fear because that's not what I feel of people. I, I, I don't want that. So <laughs> I'm not going to spread that. And it's like, if they come to you trying to spread fear and you don't have any and you're just spreading smiles, it just doesn't work. You're just, you're not in that game. And I think that disarms people. 
the, their fear doesn't work and then all of a sudden they f- see their own fear and it reflects back on them and you're just showing love. What else I got, man? Yeah, I love these reminders because again, it goes back to time in Africa. Like I can sit here and talk about this stuff, but then when shit hits the fan, it's, it's different, you know? Uh, well, it's not different, but it's, it's sometimes not so easy to put it into practice. And, but all I can do is just keep cultivating that. And I think as long as my bullseye in life is to continue to cultivate that and to, um, connect with that, with that living from love and not engaging with the fear, then it can only embody more and more. And who knows if I go back to Africa and go through that same thing in 10 years, I imagine there'll be a very different response to it. And, um, It was like the other day at jujitsu. I went through this, it's kind of like an initiation where our teacher Chase, uh, I kind of asked for it, but I asked him like, well, I want to know how I would, how I would do with all of this. If I'm in a situation of stress, like what would a, you know, a real situation be like where someone's coming and attacking me, for example, physically, like I can respond pretty well under the umbrella of this is jujitsu and we're sparring and we're, you know, because I know deep down there's not actually anything being threatened. So Chase, in order to kind of simulate that situation of stress, he first like made me do a bunch of burpees and push-ups and just wear me out, get me out of breath, get my heart racing. And then he put on the boxing gloves and he, I laid on the ground and he got into the mount. So he's like on top of me and he's just punching me in the face. More like taps, not like really punching, but punching enough to where I felt it where it was really distracting and it, where it really it stressed me out and my head kept banging on the ground and it was, I was getting dizzy and I couldn't, I couldn't get out. Uh, and, but I'd never gave up. I didn't, I didn't tell him to stop, even though I, I was like freaking out. I just kept trying and I kept doing things that are not useful, like trying to put my arms up to stop the punch, but someone who knows can take my arm and break it if I do that. Um, but, but I also think it's, it's good to try to simulate situations. And to me, this is what an initiation is in a way. It's a, it's a controlled simulation of really having us confront our deepest fears. Um, but in, in initiation, that space is held by a master. So in the case of Jiu-Jitsu, it was Chase, or in Gabon, it was uh, the people holding the ceremony. Um, but it's really giving me a contained space to really confront and bring to the surface all my deepest fears and anxieties and then get practice responding to that there. And I think even with that, practice makes perfect. And if we can keep simulating those situations without actually being threatening our lives uh it's it's really valuable and useful because then when real situations arise we can stay a bit more calm and centered and see it clearly for what it is and so this is why i really value uh initiatory experiences and plant medicine ceremonies are are just that as well Um, they give us practice because we can we can you know 
I know for myself and I know a lot of people who've, who've read every spiritual book under the sun, they've memorized all the concepts and they think they get it. And then they drink ayahuasca and they're confronted with stuff and it all goes out the, it goes out the window. So the concepts are different than the practice itself. And I think the concepts are useful, like reading these things or having a teacher to share knowledge and wisdom is really important, but we have to have a space to be able to put it into practice, see what happens. How how do we respond in situations where these tools are actually really handy? Uh, How do we respond versus react? And so another reason I love jujitsu too, is because we, uh, even when we're sparring, we put our, we get into situations where uh, we can't think about concepts like if someone's choking me, I can't think I can, but it won't be useful to think, well, it doesn't really matter. We're all going to die anyway. <laughs> uh, no, I'm getting choked and I still want to try to preserve my body. And if I can, I will. So that's where the skill comes in. And, and the practice of getting choked and sparring is learning how to respond to those situations and not actually make it worse. Because, I can say all day that oh, we're all going to die anyway. It doesn't matter. But when my physical body is threatened and pain is being experienced, like it does matter in that moment. From that perspective, it really does. And so then how can we most efficiently and skillfully respond in order to preserve our life? And if we don't and we die, that's okay. We die anyway. But still, we want to try to preserve the life. That's why I think <clears throat> 2020 is kind of a global initiation yeah big time big time because we're all facing death we're all facing some sort of death whether it's the conspiratorial side or the side of i believe in whatever's happening we're facing a death or a death of like the job that i had death of who am i in this world everything i took for granted is now gone we're dying yeah hmm well, I, I maybe COVID was created by some grandmaster teachers that are actually doing this for our own good because we need an initiation. Exactly. It's a good thing. <clears throat> so that's why I shared on the Facebook group, share something good. Let's start a thread on things, positive things that have happened to us during COVID time. That's a great idea. You shared that in the group? I did. It's on the Facebook I group. I got to get back on there. Great. That's a great, great thing to really observe. Let's look at the medicine of all this. Have people responded? Some people have, yeah. What kinds of things have you heard? Well, somebody said they they started uh, they took a test to to get a new job and they now have a new job. Another person said that they instead of doing one thing and going and having this incredible adventure, they actually did another thing, spent time with their family. They finished doing another training there in in their hometown. They still grew and they evolved. So it's like, you know what? I, I'm grateful for this. And and I think of your initiatory experience and I go back to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but <laughs> in the third book of the Lord of the Rings, after the hobbits, after Frodo and Sam have destroyed the ring and gone through this massive initiation of crossing all of Middle-earth to throw this ring into Mount, into Mount Doom, yeah, into Mordor, they come back home back to the Shire and the Shire has been overtaken and the, one of the people who has overtaken it is Wormtongue I don't know if you remember Worm, Grievous Wormtongue and Grievous Wormtongue he was a kind of like a soothsayer and he would basically he sat 
next to the king of Rohan and told him all these lies, and the king believed him, became sick. And Gandalf chased him off. But it's beside the point, but he got away and he ended up in the Shire and started telling lies and created a kind of a prison system in the Shire, turned it into a mining town and put all these hobbits to work. And Sam, Merry, and Pippin, and Frodo all come home and they're laughing. They laugh at everyone who's in this stuck in this rut. They're like, you've all fallen into this because you're afraid. You're afraid of this taller man, Mr. Wormtongue. And they eventually find this Wormtongue and it's four hobbits. They're literally half his size. They beat him up and they kick him out of town. They said, don't, don't ever come back here. Your fate will be much worse if you come back and you, you start messing with our people again. So through their initiation, through this massive thing of facing incredible, terrible fears, they come home and they bring this courage and this joy and this peace. Wow. Because it was nothing to them. It was nothing. After going to Mount Doom, it's like, pff, this guy trying to control the people, all right. I really want to read the books, man. Oh, they're Is it much better than the movie? It's a thousand times better than the movie. It's actually why I still haven't seen the Hobbit movie. It's movies yeah i've only stuck to the imagination of what i have from the can hobbit. i skip the hobbit book and go straight to lord of the rings absolutely and not lose no anything because i i tried the hobbit and i just couldn't get into it it, it seemed like a children's story kind of in the hobbit the only thing you'll get out of the hobbit is the backstory right of is where the ring came bilbo from. and where uh, bilbo why bilbo has the ring basically okay but the fellowship of the ring the Two Towers and The Return of the King are incredible books. And is there like an unabridged version or is it there's only it, it's the whole version regardless? Because some books, they kind of cut them down and you have to find the, the original. I'm not sure. I, I imagine it's probably easy to find the full. Maybe that's what I'll do. Because I've been looking I'm looking for something. Like to read, to get into. And I haven't been reading lately. And reading is like a muscle for me. And if I stop reading for a while, it's really hard for me to sit down and read. It's so much easier to go to YouTube. <laughs> but I'm craving, once in a while I get this craving to get into a story and really just immerse into it. And uh, I'm craving a story that has some some deeper like truths and meanings. And it sounds like Lord of the Rings has a lot of that too. Uh, kind of commentary on society and humanity and power and... So, yeah, I'm going to read that. It's a good book. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. There's also a little fun thing that you'll see in there. It kind of goes into episode 17, uh, which is talking about Saruman, the other wizard. Yeah. And his his power to speak and put spells on people and how he manipulates people through spoken word. That's why Wormtongue was Wormtongue. He's, he taught Wormtongue how to put people under spells with his words. Which is what a lot of power beautiful people do right that's advertising interesting cool man that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna fire up the old reading brain and turn off youtube for a while and then we could talk about it all the time man there's so many cool correlations with lord of the rings and where we are now huh cool i'm gonna read it i'm gonna read it tonight i'm gonna start it must turn off YouTube. I'm addicted. YouTube's because I'm not addicted. with my wife. I'm at home by myself, and at night it gets dark. And when it gets dark, I have this tendency to want to like escape, and I just go on to YouTube. Sometimes Netflix, but typically YouTube. And 
I realized after a few hours that I haven't really, sometimes on YouTube I can learn something. Like I went down this cryptocurrency rabbit hole, right? And I watched everything I could about it. But a lot of times I'm just skipping from every, like I watched a video of every knockout by Mike Tyson in his career. And then that led down a rabbit hole that got me to men's bodybuilding because one of the suggested videos. And I was just like, what? I was just, like getting caught up in like how crazy those dudes look, those like pro bodybuilders. And so then I went down that and then I don't know, I ended up, I just watched, I just don't go anywhere, you know, and then it's time for bed and I feel empty. So I want to engage with like a real deep story. Is it hard to read? Is the vocabulary pretty easy for someone like me? No, it's for you, man. You're super intelligent. What do you talk about? I don't know. Some, on, sometimes books that were written more than 20 years ago, there's just a way that they're the language and it's hard. <laughs> I mean, Professor Tolkien is very intelligent. He's a professor? He, writes, he was a professor. He writes very... He's very intelligent and he, he writes very well, but I mean, I think... I can fine. get lost in it. No, you're fine. You'll, you'll, you'll get lost in the story, yes. You will. Another great book or series, and I've spoken of this before, is by Brandon Sanderson. Yeah. The Stormlight I started it. It's slow, and it's hard, and it's a slog in the beginning, especially the first book, but once you start meeting Kaladin and seeing what Kaladin's going through, his initiations, you just, oof. The last great epic I read was the Dark Tower series, Stephen King. Really amazing, too. What's what's that about? Um, That is about it's really kind of a hero's journey about this guy named Roland. He's the gunslinger. The first book is the gunslinger and it takes place in some kind of post-apocalyptic future, but it's also kind of like the wild west. Um, and anyway, he meets people along the way and it just becomes this quest to get to the dark tower, uh, to save the world basically. And without revealing anything, uh, it's just a fascinating adventure with so many interesting characters and it's a true hero's journey. And Roland is just the ultimate like hero. He's kind of a gruff, uh, he speaks, doesn't talk much, just kind of this old grizzly kind of jaded old cowboy type character, but you can't help but love him. And uh, the people that he meets on this journey, there's this little boy and this animal uh, uh, called um, Oi, and he's like kind of like a dog. And this woman, uh, and they travel in time and they go through these portals. Like one of the books, they spend a lot of time in New York City. So like the book, the story is playing out in all these different kind of dimensions at the same time but the dimensions are really superimposed on each other, but they, they travel. It's interdimensional. It's amazing. It's a really, really, really good one. Stephen King's also a master, like just crafting a story. My favorite, one of my favorite reads of all time that I got so into was the stand by Stephen King. Epic. I mean, it's one book and listeners, if you want to read it, find the unabridged uncut version. And, uh, you know, it's about, a world where a virus has killed off most people and there be, there's this great battle of good and evil. Uh, and it's amazing. It's an amazing book. 
The Stand. Highly recommend it. You're giving me new book ideas. Yeah, The Stand is so good. Awesome. Yeah. That's the thing is I I love the adventure. We we can go with our mind. Like like we were talking about The Hobbit. The Hobbit for me is is like a it's a gem that I let sit in my mind and it has this whole landscape and this world right. and this adventure and it's it's perfect the way my imagination created it when I first read it. And and I don't want that tainted by the m- movie's interpretation of the situation or the characters or how they look because I find that now when I listen to or read uh, ad- uh I was going to say adventure time. Um Lord of the Rings, I see the characters from the movie not the characters I originally imagined, right. or even how he describes them. They're, they're a bit different. Yeah, I so. would. So, yeah, the movie can kind of taint the experience of the book, but I'm sure with time, though, the book it'll take on its own universe for me, because it's the same with uh, the Dark Tower series. I mean, there's like eight books, and it just becomes this whole world. It it has its own. It's, and when you get immersed into it, the that world becomes so real like a master storyteller weaves through their words an entire world with its characters and storylines. It's amazing. Uh, but I always like books that that leave me with something deeper to consider. You know, there's messages in it. There's puzzles. There's philosophy. There's meaning and some semblance of touching on deeper truth that's applicable to our reality as it is. I don't just want to read a story for the sake of just getting lost in a story. I want there to be something deeper to it. And so I'm drawn to those types of stories. And it, I think Lord of the Rings is something like that. Just the theme alone of power and fear. And uh, it's very, it's a very shamanic story too. And the end of the world. Yeah. I love those. Like, I love those kind of apocalyptic save the world books stories. Those are my favorite. It's always, it's all about saving the world, man. That's the Stormlight Chronicles, man. Yeah. It, it's the end of the world. Brian Sanderson. Books. Brandon Sanderson. Brandon Sanderson. I'm going to start with Lord of the Rings because Lord of the Rings seems to be the the inspiration for so many other epics. I'm sure Sanderson, I know Stephen King, he writes about it, how inspired he was by Lord of the Rings. It was just like, it's the grandmaster of all these stories, right? Uh, I think even Stephen King, like there's little references in his books to Lord of the Rings wow. as well. You know, they really tie it all in. Uh, yeah. I got to check out Dark Tower series. Dark Tower series or if you just want if you don't want to go down the rabbit hole of eight books that are like 500 pages each, then just read the stand under bridge version. It's probably a good thousand pages, but it's one book, one story. And it's amazing. I'm going to uh, read the dark amazing. tower. You, you sold the dark, okay, tower, dark tower. And then talk to Bernard too. Cause it's Bernard's like, he's read it several times. The whole series. Does he have the physical copies here? I believe he does. Yeah. So you, you can ask him and go knock on his door. Yeah. 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 Hmm. I, I was reading it on my Kindle, but I think he has them all. Yeah. yeah. So there's that. Be Tom Bombardale. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And just put it to practice. I think these conversations are really helpful for me because they they re- it's it's like reminders and pointing to something and then and then life is the uh field of play to really see how we can put it to practice. How much can I see the game for what it is and how much can I really make the choice to not engage with the fear and, you know, just see it? Yeah. Well, I think the reminder for me is like 
how much I allow someone else to to control the the perspective of my day or how much I'm willing yeah. to put the authority of my happiness in somebody else's life or my perspective on the world in somebody else's hands. Mm-hmm. I think that really clicked for me today. Mm-hmm. How to step away from that. Yeah, we don't have to give it any power at all. We can be free, man. We are free. We are free. We can remember that we're free. <laughs> we we're, really are, aren't we? We're, we're, we're free. We just think we're not. Well, it's like KRS-One. As long as we think we're not, we're not. Yeah. It's like the KRS-One video I showed you. He's like, you just said rock star and heard yourself say rock star. And you're seeing rock star in your head. Mm-hmm. Who is that being that is? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's already free. It's already over there. It's just watching this whole thing get more involved in the physical aspects of it. I got to have pleasure and food and safety and all these fun things, but I'm still rock star. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I want to give a shout out gratitude to all of our supporters uh, our latest supporter did, we've had a couple join in the past week and um, do you remember their names? Ward H Ward H and before that uh, someone Justin Cobb yeah thanks Ward and Justin thank, thank you thank you both very much yeah this podcast is brought to you by Ward Justin Tina Karen and all of our other supporters uh, Florence Florence and um, uh, Zach. And Zach and there's uh, oh and uh, the one who goes by medicine no uh, there's one that's Florence oh okay yeah. sweet well thanks to everybody thank you all and for those of you listening, if you want to join us on beyondwords.locals.com, you can join our sangha, our community. We wanted to talk about the sangha real quick. Yeah, we do. I actually had a, a person reach out to me, a friend of ours, Alex. Uh, she's a wonderful human being. She she just shared her gratitude to, to feel connected into this kind of global cyber sangha, this community um, that we're creating. And and that's really like, I I feel what is kind of evolving through this. And I feel like it's something that I'm like, yeah, that's really inspiring and beautiful to see that there is this global Sangha, this global community of people, of like-minded people who, you know, maybe in these times you're feeling really alone. Maybe in these times you feel alienated because of all the nonsense that's out there, you know, and, and you find a place of refuge in, in our little podcast, you know, and in this community that's, that's here. And, Man, that's just a beautiful thing. So thank you, Alex, for sharing that with me, uh, sharing that with us, with all of us, with your community here. Hi, Alex. <laughs> we're grateful to you. And we're and hoping you're enjoying your, your hikes and adventures in nature. Yeah. And the song, like, I feel it. Even when we're having our conversations, I often just have this image pop in my mind that we're, we're surrounded by these people, right? These people listening. And, and again, oftentimes the best medicine for me is just realizing that I'm not alone and you know, all the 
topics and things that come up for us in this podcast, I know that people experience very similar things. Anytime something comes up for me, any fear or any reaction to a situation, if it's happening for me, it's inevitably happening for a lot of other people. And simply just sharing that and knowing that we're not alone, even if we're not, not physically in the same space, it doesn't matter because these, the Sangha goes beyond physical space. And, uh, so yeah, just a lot of love for, we're all in this together and Felix and I, we're just going to keep doing this and keep sharing and keep having these conversations. And we're so grateful to everyone who's joining us. So it's really awesome. Amen to that. Amen to that. Like Ram Dass says, at the end of the day, we're all walking each other home. Amen. That's a great, uh, let's end it on that. It's beautiful. Let's keep walking, everybody. We'll see you at home. See you when we get there. We're all going to make it there. We'll see you there. Yeah. <laughs> We're already there. <laughs> and we'll keep walking there at the same time. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, we love you so much. And see you next time on Beyond Words. Ciao. Peace out. <laughs>